This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. This is Kelly and Company on a Tuesday afternoon. We're just fixing and going through some things that uh, Kelly's board might be doing. But in the meantime, the show must go on. You can call us to give us your feedback on the show or some commentary on our conversations. 1-866-509-4545. You can also email us. That's nice. It can be short. Feedback at AMI.ca. And even shorter on Twitter because there's word counts i think still and the handle is at ami audio now let's go to our tuesday conversations with dr danielle jeankind she joins us for ask a veterinarian where we talk all about our animal friends and one thing about our animal friends our pets that we know is that they love food and not just their own sometimes other people's food is even better <laughs> and sometimes we think okay well do all pets love food there might be some pets who aren't particularly motivated by food and that's just their way of being in the world but not eating sometimes we uh link this to a sign of illness but how do we know exactly when our pets skipping a meal is a problem or maybe not a problem what else causes pets to stop eating or reduce their appetite altogether when should and shouldn't we be concerned about this? And that's what we're talking about with Danielle today, the ins and outs of our pet's appetite. So, Danielle, to get started, maybe we can talk about um, this food motivation. But would you say that most pets are motivated by food? Well, that's that's actually a hard question to answer. You know, an intense drive to eat seems to be very much an individual thing among pets, in my experience. Um, it's also kind of hard to assess in a vet clinic environment. You know, animals under stress will often refuse treats, even if they would normally gobble them down under other circumstances, like if they're mm-hmm. at home or outside. And so I can also say, though, that, you know, I have run into some pets, particularly dogs, with a ridiculous food obsession. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about dogs that are counter surfers, you know, doing their best to climb up on countertops to get at anything within reach. Yep. I actually know of um, one dog who made it necessary for the people in the house to lock the refrigerator. Oh, my. <laughs> because he actually figured out how to open the fridge. And the same dog also actually almost managed to blow their house up because they were scrambling with their feet against the controls for the gas range, um, trying to get at something on the stove and turned the gas on by accident. And thank goodness the people returned in time to shut it off before a spark ignited it. <laughs> so you can see that some, some dogs are just like crazy this way. Um, cats are not immune to this either, though truly food-obsessed cats are much more rare in my experience anyway. Um, I myself have now lived with two food-obsessed cats. <laughs> in my house, the cat food bag must be locked in the closet. And, you know, when my last cat, Simon, was around, I couldn't leave anything out anywhere in the house. Um, When Simon was a kitten, my husband and I lived in a small one-bedroom apartment, and our dining table was the coffee table in front of the couch. That's where we ate dinner. And Mm -hmm. Simon actually used to sit below my husband's plate, and, you know, when he was distracted by the TV, the cat would swipe a paw up and knock food (laughs) off the plate and onto the floor where he could snatch it up and run away and eat it. (laughs) Fair game, though. Coffee table is their level. (laughs) 
It was. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, but having said all that, it's important to know that just as many pets are picky about their food, you know, too. So some, you know, refuse to eat anything but their preferred brand or will skip meals now and then. And, you know, these pets seem to eat when they're hungry and they don't really seem to care much about food at all. Um, I've noticed that cats and small breed dogs seem to be more likely to be included in this group. But, yeah, that's kind of some generalities. My friend's cats, Michael and Jackson, are one of each. One of them is absolutely food obsessed. Uh, If you're snacking while you have a whole board game going on, forget the board game because he will come for the snack and swipe everything off the table. (laughs) And then the other one is very particular, absolutely no for any kind of changes with food. So do clients bring symptoms of their pets not eating a lot to you, Danielle? Oh, absolutely. Um, It's one of the most common reasons for someone to be bringing their pet in. Um, Sometimes it's obvious that a pet isn't eating because it is sick, you know, but you'd be surprised by how often people bring their pet in for not eating and the pet isn't actually ill. Um, What might be happening in some cases is that the pet isn't living up to the client's expectations of how much or when it should be eating, which is not really the same thing as an illness, you know. So a lot of people, I think, they they get worried or upset if their pet's pattern of eating changes. Um, Mm -hmm. they also can, you know, get worried if their pet isn't eating as much as they think it should be eating, or if it isn't diving into the food and scarfing it all down at once before looking for more. And I actually see this situation a lot when a pet reaches adulthood, you know, because they're not growing anymore. So their calorie requirements aren't quite as much and their appetite tends to change in a lot of cases. Um, I also see it in some very overweight adult pets who start refusing pet food in favor of table scraps. He won't eat unless I mix chicken in it, you know, is a common explanation I'll get for that type of situation. (laughs) And, you know, we we do have to be careful not to let our own fears and expectations get in the way of a pet's natural urge to regulate its food intake and its weight. So, I mean, definitely it is not a good idea to ignore changes in appetite, but it's important to kind of distinguish, you know, when a pet is simply naturally self-regulating their food intake from when that symptom of not eating is a symptom of an actual illness. Yeah, but it is kind of true. Like when you talk about uh, patterns changing, when Glizzy goes to grandma's house and he gets spoiled, his, his butt spoiled off, then he comes back home and won't eat kibble for like a week. So. <laughs> Just saying. It's a thing. Um, but let's keep going. So what should we look out for to distinguish between a pet who isn't eating because of illness and one who's fine but maybe not feeling like it? We know everybody should kind of pay attention to and be familiar with their pet's normal pattern of eating. And, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, some pets are known counter surfers and others are known picky eaters. Um, There's an important clue in that they've always been that way, you know. So unexplained changes from the usual eating pattern could indicate an illness. So, you know, changes that happen over weeks or months are less concerning to me than changes that happen abruptly. You know, for example, if your known counter surfer ate yesterday but refuses to eat today, I'd be really (laughs) concerned about an illness being the cause of not eating. Um, But if it's not unusual for your picky dog to skip a meal and they didn't eat their breakfast, I wouldn't be nearly as worried, you know. Um, Another thing to watch for, of course, is other signs of disease. You know, a a sick pet might have vomiting or diarrhea. They might be coughing, sneezing, or having a runny nose. Um, They might be profoundly lethargic and might not want to do their usual routine. 
So by that, I mean like a dog might stop running to the door when the doorbell rings or might refuse to go for a walk. You know, well, the cat who prowls the windowsills watching the birds outside is hiding in the closet or under the bed, and that would be unusual for them. You know, these are all good indicators that the pet maybe isn't eating because they're sick. And the third thing I would watch for is weight loss. Um, some of those insidious, slowly progressive illnesses like chronic kidney failure, you know, tumors, um, brain diseases, some of those can have clinical signs that are initially so mild that they're really easy to miss. Sometimes a slowly progressive loss of appetite and a slow weight loss is the only sign that something is wrong. So a healthy pet, of course, will eat enough to maintain their weight or they might be gaining it. But if your pet is slowly losing weight over time and you don't have them on a diet, that's another indicator that something might be wrong. Now, there is, of course, one caveat to this discussion, and, and that is that we have to treat cats a little differently than dogs with respect to not eating. Cats have a nasty habit of getting liver disease as a consequence of not eating, regardless of what started the not eating in the first place. Oh, wow. And that makes it, yeah, so, you know, it kind of makes it important to notice if your cat suddenly stops eating and gets them to the vet if that happens. And, yeah. of course, Noticing that can be easier said than done. You know, a lot of cats live with other cats, and of course they all eat out of the same bowl, or they have one of those silo feeders, which is kept constantly filled. And sometimes that can make it really hard to tell if one of the cats stops eating. So, you know, if you do have multiple cats and you aren't sure if one of them might be ill, you might temporarily put one of the ones that you think might be alone in a bedroom or a bathroom with their own food, water, and litter. And then you'll be able to monitor what's going on a whole lot easier. And, you know, it, there's a bonus to that too. And it makes it easier to catch them if you have to medicate them um, or if you have to take them to the vet. And of course, once they're normal, you know, you can kind of let them back out again and leave them to their own devices. Wow. A big time reason to make sure that you're observing or have that reason to uh, go right away and get checked if that if you if you do discover so what kind of illnesses show not eating as a symptom well you know not eating is one of those non-specific symptoms you know meaning that a lot of illnesses can cause it so you know anything from dental problems like an abscess tooth or something for example to gastrointestinal disease like pancreatitis um, or brain tumors, you know, can even cause a pet to lose their appetite. So that symptom doesn't always help us to narrow down what's going on, but, you know, it's a really good one for people um, to have a way of noticing that there's a problem, you know, and sometimes appetite can act as a bit of a barometer to assess improvement as well. So, you know, your animal has a problem, it's being treated, and it's feeling better, and the appetite improves, you know, that'll tell you, oh, yeah, things are getting better. So it's, you know, something that's really worth noticing and paying attention to. Yeah, it sounds like it. And how do vets treat an appetite in pets or lack of appetite? You know, I get this question from clients a lot, you know, because I hear I hear the phrase, all I need is to get a meeting again. If we could do that, he'd be fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and and the problem with that statement is that a lack of appetite isn't a disease in and of itself. It's a symptom of symptom. some other problem. Yeah, so, you know, the best way of fixing it, of course, is to diagnose what's causing it and then to treat the underlying disease. So, you know, when the underlying disease is managed or if if we can cure it and it's cured, the appetite usually returns to normal. And, you know, sometimes we can determine the problem through the history and a physical exam, and other times we might need to do some testing like blood or urine tests. 
um, with some conditions, x-rays, ultrasounds, or even advanced diagnostics, things like endoscopy or MRI might be needed. But, you know, until we know what's going on, we can kind of institute some symptomatic treatment to help stabilize a pet and help to help your pet to feel better. So that might include fluid therapy, for example, if a pet is dehydrated, um, or pain medication if it's painful. Um, in the case of poor appetite, we have a range of symptomatic treatments that we can try. So sometimes a pet will respond to a diet change. Um, there are a number of what we call recovery-type diets out there, which are, you know, yummy, high-calorie canned diets that a pet doesn't really have to eat that much of in order to get um, a lot of nutritional support. Um, Force feeding with a syringe is something a pet owner can do at home, but it can be difficult to do, and it comes with um, some risk. You know, sometimes if you don't want to shoot that food right down the back of their throat and have the animal inhale it, that can be dangerous, so you have to be careful. Um, Another option is to try an appetite stimulant, you know, which is medication that your vet can prescribe, which, you know, can help encourage your pet to eat. Um, Appetite stimulants don't always work, but they do help in a lot of cases. So it's worth talking to your vet about whether they think one is appropriate for your pet's case. Um, And, you know, there are also some medical interventions. So things like feeding tubes, you know, that can be placed to support a pet in cases where, you know, we're thinking that, you know, that longer-term support is needed. Um, and in, in extreme cases, pets can also be fed intravenously. But generally, that is only done in rare instances where, you know, a pet is in an ICU and either, you know, the gastrointestinal tract doesn't work for some reason or for whatever reason it's not possible to get the pet the nutrition it needs in any other way. But again, all of this is really just kind of managing the symptom while we're working mm-hmm. on getting rid of the problem. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely fantastic, Danielle. And I mean, I know a lot of time it's something a pet picks up, makes it not feel good, and unfortunately sometimes a blockage. But these are so many things, like you said, over time. Watch, observe, and do something about. Uh, Next week we're going to be talking to you about gift ideas for pets and animal lovers, and you'll spill the beans on some of the funniest and most memorable gifts you've received in that same theme. We'll talk to you then. Okay, then. Danielle Johnkind joins us at this time every week for Ask a Veterinarian. Up next, our wellness chat. Francis Wong is going to be sharing with us how you can use mindful eating to help manage your eating habits next. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.